Uh, let's, let's pray together as we get into God's words. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace to us and for the living word of God. Pray that it will come alive to us now and that you will teach and inspire us in the way that you want to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, 1998 was a, a big year for me. I'm going to take you back 21 years to a time when I was a student, and um, I met a, a very short girl with a calling to uh, ordained ministry, and uh, she'd had that calling since she was seven years of age. And I was at the time in a sort of church that didn't believe in women's uh, ministry, uh, upfront ministry. And um, as you can see, it was a bit of a journey uh, since then over the uh, following years. Uh, It was also a time where in the church in England, there was an aftershock of a sort of move of God that had been stirring since 1994 uh, that was associated with a phenomena called the Toronto Blessing, uh, which uh, began in uh, Canada, uh, fairly obviously, I guess. Um, And it was sort of enshrined in the UK through a church in the centre of London, or West London, called Holy Trinity Brompton, and a few other churches, and then became a key part of the Alpha Course. And effectively, the Toronto Blessing is the Holy Spirit Weekend uh, of the Alpha Course, if you've ever been on that. And and what happened was, at that time, you could go to a church meeting, and at the end of the meeting, they would say something like, we'll say at the end of this meeting, which is like, stand up. Um, and uh, you know, people being fairly obedient uh, crowds stood, stood up and they'd say, put your hands out and we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come among us as you'll hear us do regularly today as Peter did in the worship set early on. And what often seemed to happen in that time uh, was that there would be ripples of God's Spirit moving through congregations in quite dramatic and quite unexpected ways. I can remember being in a cow shed uh, in Stoneley, which is somewhere near Coventry, probably not the place you see as the uh, great pilgrimage destination of our era. And in this cow shed, which had uh, odor uh, moo in the background, um, there was incredible moves of God happening at the end of these particular uh, worship services. There would be relayed to another building because you couldn't fit everyone into the cow shed, several thousand people there. And we would be sensing that God was doing something beyond what we could have organized or imagined for ourselves. Does that make sense? You'd stand there and someone over there would start laughing. And without knowing why, you'd start laughing over here and then here. And it's like a Mexican wave of joy in the room. Um, I was an um, undergraduate and uh, in a fairly sceptical uh, church background. And I, I went to this um, and was quite blown away by what happened. And uh, along my journey, I then went to a uh, church in the centre of London, Holy Trinity Brompton, and got prayed for by the retired or, or retiring minister there. Um, or he hadn't retired at that time, uh, Sandy, Sandy Miller. And... As he prayed for me, I ended up lying down on the floor, quite happily, quite naturally, on my back, just enjoying God. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had that experience of enjoying God. The great reformers said that the chief end of, they use the word man, but we would say humans, um, is to enjoy God. 
and praise him forever or glorify him forever. I wonder if you've ever had that experience of enjoying God. I was lying there on my back just enjoying him. I was lying there in the cow shed just enjoying him. I was watching thousands of people enjoying him. Tremendous time. Forward from the uh, the late 90s to uh, today, we have just recently hosted a conference at uh, uh, St. Paul's Hammersmith for 500 church leaders. And one of the, uh, the little sessions that, that I convened there was to invite some of the guys who had been leaders of major churches in that time in the 1990s to come forward and give their reflections on what church is all about. So we had a, a man called uh, David McGuinness, who was vicar of St. Aldate's Oxford, uh, John Irvin, who you met at the carol service here, whose children come to church here. He was uh, vicar of St. Barnabas Kensington. And uh, we had Sandy Miller from HTB, and we had them on stage together with, uh, with the vicar of the church at Hammersmith, with Simon. And we were interviewing them about those days and the days before and what God had done. And it was really interesting as, as they told their old war stories of back in the day, there was a sort of a, a stirring that went on in people and the evening speaker, a lady called Esther Pryor, who will probably speak here at some point over the next year or so, I got up and said, I want more than what I've got today. I want more. And Sandy and the others have been asked, why do we not carry on experiencing everything that had felt so good in that era? And they have various answers to that, and the answers are all going online shortly, and it's, it's well worth a listen to if, you, if you'd like to. But they acknowledged, and she acknowledged, that the day that we live in now does not feel as palpably close to the presence of God as it did then. In some ways, we got better. We've got better organized. The worship's got more professional. We now use three and a half chords, not just three chords in, in the average worship song. <laughs> you know, think, things have moved on uh, in all sorts of different ways. But that sense of God being so imminent that anything could happen feels less likely. That was day one of the conference. Day two of the conference, we deliberately invited some younger uh, ministers who were in different ways on the the breaking ground of some new things that it feels like God's doing. One was running a cafe, uh, reaching out in the central business district in London to people coming through. And he told the incredible story of how they'd rescued a woman from prostitution um, who had come from a, a Muslim background country, and she had now become part of their church ministry team. She was on fire for God. We heard another story of a woman who had worked at Soul Survivor in Watford and then elsewhere working with young adults. And she was telling story after story of how God was working in the millennial generation and all the things that she could see there. And then we had a a lovely minister, Nick and I have known for for 15 years, from Sussex called James DiCastiglione. And he was telling the stories of miracles that are occurring in his church in rural Sussex, not far from where Keir and Jesmee Shreves are now living. And he brought with him uh, five uh, 18 to 21-year-olds, and they all came up on the, on the largest stage at St. Paul's Hammersmith, and they said, and they just had um, 
it depends on your mood, how you feel about someone when they look like this. But if you're in a good mood, you're like, wow, they're inspiring. If you're in a really grumpy mood, you're like, what have they been eating? I wanted it. <laughs> you know, they were glowing. Um, and they, they were full of that confident faith that probably escapes us more and more as we get further away from the age of 18. And they prayed out for people in the congregation. They said, is there someone here by the name of, and they'd throw a name out, and, uh, and someone would stand up and, and they'd say, I wonder if God's saying this to you. And four out of five of them were spot on. And people were like, whoa, that's really amazing. And one of them uh, threw out the name uh, Louise. I, I know they were spot on because two of them came from one church where I knew the vicar and I asked him afterwards, was that right? They said, absolutely, that was exactly right for those members of my team. One of them threw out the name Louise. And uh, in a room of 500 leaders, bizarrely, there wasn't a single Louise in the room. I mean, if you were going to go for percentage uh, hits, you would have probably thought that might one would have worked. But there wasn't a Louise in the room. But there was someone there whose wife was called Louise, and she was doing ministry that day, so she couldn't come along. And he, he stood up and said, well, my wife's called Louise. And, um, and I was like, well, you know, it's sort of a bit of an embarrassing moment because it doesn't really feel like this is the, you know, the right pinnacle of God's moving uh, power. But he, he stood up for her and they, they chatted and he said, well, actually, she's a really shy person. <laughs> and if someone had called out her name and she'd been here, she'd intended to be here, but she wasn't here. If she'd called out her name, she'd have been really embarrassed by it and uh, it would have really embarrassed her. But what did you want to say to a Louise? And I'll, I'll let her know. And if it's right, I'll let you know. And uh, they said some such thing uh, that was encouraging. And he's like, oh, I'm not sure about that. I chatted to him after. He's like, I'm not sure about it at all. Um, so I was, I was debriefing with James, my, my friend, the vicar in Sussex, uh, a week or so later. And saying, oh, you know, your guys were great on the stage, weren't they? You know, four, four out of five. It's good. We can have a failure rate. That's, it's nice. You know, just encourage people. Let's have a go. Let's try. And he said, do you know, I've just got an email in from that guy whose wife was called Louise. And apparently, just at that moment, she was running a ministry that she wasn't sure whether she could carry on with or not. She was about to lay it down and give up because it was just too difficult. Um, so I went home and told her this later on today, and she um, may get the details slightly wrong, but as, as I remember it, she burst into tears. I was like, oh my goodness me. God's real and he knows. And the really interesting thing on that conference was on day one, we were looking back and we were going... Wasn't it fascinating in the 90s what God was doing? And, and, and we had that evening talk where it was like, I want more of God's power than I can see right now. And then on day two, we had actually evidence of God's new beginnings, of what he's doing, of the lives that he's changing now. In the era that we're uh, preaching into from the book of Ezra, another prophet stood up and said, do not despise. Do not despise. That means look down with a sort of screwed up nose at. The day of small beginnings. The day of small beginnings. One of uh, our, our great old saints in the church, uh, Pam Bates on the uh, fourth row there, um, hasn't been in this building for a, a good while. Uh, she's come over especially for uh, the Adidas baptism. And um, she was like, isn't it amazing what God's done in here? 
Some of us have been journeying through here, but it's, it's easy to forget the story, isn't it, as you journey with something over time. I often find myself telling your story, Christchurch W4, over the last number of decades. And it may be that you've joined into this story in the last few months. It may be that, like Ruth, who's leading the service, you've been uh, doing 25 years of volunteering in the Sunday school. Ruth's just stepped down from Sunday school after 25 years. I think that deserves a round of applause, doesn't it? Um, There are people who have prayed, hungered, and grafted through uh, to get the church to the stage where it now is. I'm really looking forward to Dennis's uh, sermon on Pentecost Sunday uh, when he preaches at our, our three services. Um, because it has been so joyous to reflect with him during his curacy over these last few years of everything he's seen God do. And isn't it an amazing point, Christchurch, to be at the stage where we're again sending off into ministry someone that you know has grown and developed and and trained on your watch, under your prayers, under your care, under your encouragement, under your strengthening, under your feedback, under your help, under your partnership in the gospel. Isn't that a wonderful thing that God's doing? We don't despise the day of small beginnings because we see things are kicking off. In Ezra chapter 3, they have got back into the promised land after that time of exile. If you weren't here last week, the easiest way to locate this in the Bible story is Daniel in the lion's den. Do you remember the story of Daniel in the lion's den? This is not long after Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel in the lion's den is not um, a strapping young guy like the worship leader on the stage today. He's an 80-year-old bloke who gets chucked into the lion's den. And at the end of his life, he prays and he says, God, it says in Jeremiah that after three score years and ten, you're going to let us go back to the promised land. Please make it happen. Everything's pretty bleak, or it could be really comfy because they're in a much better place. It's like they've got their green card and gone to America in today's world. And they want to go back to a war-torn country to rebuild it. So please let us go back to the war-torn country because that's where your temple should be built. That is Zion. That's the holy hill. And we want our people to go back there. And so he prays and people begin to go back under a guy called Cyrus the Persian. We were hearing about him last week, how this pagan ruler opens the door for God's people to go and rebuild the temple and he provides finances for it. All sorts of other things. And they they get there and they build it. They appoint people. They do all these things and then they have a ceremony And if you know your Old Testament well, you'll recognize the refrain in verse 11. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, he is good and his love endures forever. If you know your Old Testament, you'll know that that was the phrase that was sung when the first temple was dedicated. And we've got a worship song for that from back in that era I was talking about. You are good, you are good, and your love endures forever. You are good, you are good, your love endures forever. And they're singing this But among them are people who remember what it used to be like. What it felt like when the old temple was there, when you could still see the gold on it, in its splendor and in its glory. And the new kids on the block are like, we built a temple. And the old guys are like, it's not like it used to be. 
and a cacophony of noise comes up. And this wouldn't happen in England because we don't really go in for cacophonies of noise except at football matches, um, like this afternoon when Man City will fantastically lose in the 90th minute <laughs> uh, to Brighton. <laughs> Heard it here first. The, um, we don't go in for cacophonies of noise, but they're, they're praising God, but they're also weeping. And I wonder if you've ever been in that place when you look out at the church in our land today. And on one hand, you want to go, isn't it amazing that God's calling people like Dennis to uh, go to Shepherd's Bush? Or if you were at the Women's Connections group yesterday, isn't it amazing that there are miracles happening in Uganda? And you heard Prudence's stories yesterday, an incredibly inspiring story of her ministry trip there. Or you maybe have gone to a conference and you've seen great things. Or you heard the story of the youth event we held here in St. Albans just a few weeks ago where 40 to 50 kids walked into that prayer chapel and prayed that Jesus Christ would be their Lord and Savior with team. I mean, these are great things, aren't they? But if you're a Christian, you've probably also got something else going on inside you. Because there's a bit of you that's also homesick for heaven and has a sense that there could be more than this. Because every time you walk down the street and you hear someone say, Jesus, not like a praise word. Or every time you see someone write off God's people, his church. Or every time you see that the church has made the front pages again for all the wrong reasons. Or you see a building that's been shut down and empty that is dedicated to the glory of God and is now a gymnasium or something else. There should be a bit in you that goes, Ah! It's not how it's supposed to be yet, Lord. And if you've got an active enough imagination or a good enough sense of history, you'll know that we're not just trapped in terminal decline. There's a really amazing uh, piece of writing that uh, Jill Duff has just done. She used to be one of the tutors at St. Mellitus College. Uh, she's now Bishop of Lancaster, a uh, fantastic lady. And she's written a uh, paper on what she calls declinism in the church, which is the heresy that everything is in decline, declinism. Uh, and she said that in 2030, people will look back on 2018 and go, what a bunch of heretics. <laughs> They missed the signs of the day of small beginnings. They missed the signs of what God could do through faithful people, through people who prayed, through people who stirred their hearts and said, this is not enough for me. I long to see the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. For people who would walk into buildings that look like they've been made destitute and say, in Jesus' name, this will come to life again. For people who will look into the eyes of their neighbors who look lost and hopeless and say, come alive in Jesus' name. For people who will not give in and just quit and say, as long as it's still here for my funeral, that's all right. But will say, I'm going to see the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I'm not going to let go, God, until you bless me. To coin the phrase from the Old Testament life of Jacob, I'm just going to hold on to you, God, until something happens. That's what we're living for, isn't it? Christchurch, 
That's what we're praying for. We're not oblivious to the fact that around the world and through history, our God is a God who keeps turning up. We're not oblivious to the things Nicola was saying last week, that eventually a culture runs out of its, its own ideas and goes, help me. In Jill Duff's talk, she talks about uh, millennials living among a relativist age where they've been taught all through their life, anything goes, it doesn't matter, just get on with it, whatever. And getting into their mid-twenties, thirties, going, this is rubbish. There must be something I can hold on to in life. It doesn't feel like I'm supposed to hold on to chasing after a wind or a vapor. There must be something solid and concrete. It stands to reason that not everyone can be right about everything. I've done maths. I've done science. We can't all be right. Maybe there's some truth out there. And a stirring happens and a longing happens for place and for people and for priding something. Can you, can you see it? Can you feel it? What do you look at when you look down the years at St. Stephen Shepherd's Bush, at Christchurch Turnham Green, at St. Albans Acton Green, at Cunnington Street? What do you see? St. Paul's Dorking, where Emily and Chris are heading off to be ministers in. What do you see? Well, the Bible doesn't ask us for naive optimism. It does ask us for faith, as Bishop Graham was saying, for hope and for love. And like Dennis said in his lovely and very short uh, sermon at the baptism, sometimes what we really need to do is get to the point where we're swimming around in the water and uh, we've been wriggling away thinking we can survive. And then we give up. And we go, God, I don't know how to raise my kids in this culture so that they come to faith in you. God, I don't know how to preserve a marriage in this culture. God, I don't know how to be single in this culture. God, I don't know how to be aging in this culture. God, I don't know how to go into work in this culture. God, I don't know how to do church in this culture. God, I just don't know how to do anything in this culture unless you do something, God. How could I hold on? Because it's got to be you, God. It's got to be you. Because I can't do this on my own, Lord. You know, one of the real heresies of our West London church has been how flipping amazing we are. (laughs) You know, I can sort it out. We can put on a great show. We can organize ourselves. And sometimes God's just waiting and he's saying, when will you realize that it's when you're weak that you're strong. When you will you realize it's when you've got nothing to show for yourself that I show up more clearly. You know the glorious story of the two flower pots, don't you? From uh, the subcontinent, from India. And the uh, two flower pots are chatting to themselves as they can in parables. 
and one of them is a leaky flower pot. And they, uh, uh, sorry, water jar, water jar. Um, slightly giving away the story here. Um, two water jars chatting to each other. And uh, they're carried each day, like in Richard's story from World Vision from last week that his son was sharing. They're carried a long way to collect water by the lady who carries them. And one of them preserves all the water on the way home, and one of them leaks out a third of the water each journey, dripping out, drip by drip. And the one that's been leaking says to the other one, I am rubbish as a water jar. Look how far she walks every day, and I keep letting her down day by day. I'm a rubbish water jar. I just think I should just quit being a water jar. I'm going to fall off the stick on the way home next time. Just give up being a water jar. And the other one said, haven't you seen what keeps her going on the way home? A number of months ago, along the path, she planted some seeds. And every day on the way home, you've dripped water on top of those seeds. And now there's a beautiful line of flowers, which I think is the only thing that keeps her going on her way home from that water hole. You might think you're weak, but you're the reason that any of the water makes it home day by day. Church in Ezra, they rebuilt a temple. Some of them looked at it and said, this is amazing. Some of them looked at it and said, it is not as good as it used to be. I'm not sure either response was the best response. You may be able to fill in the blank and work out what the best response is. Might be one to go away and wrestle with and take home. But I reckon it's something of the Jacob response where he goes, I'm not going to let go till you bless me, Lord. Actually, I'm weak, God. Actually, I can't do this thing. Actually, we can't make Jesus great again like a Trump campaign. But I'm prepared to lay it all down for you, Lord. I'm prepared to say that I'm nothing, Lord. I'm prepared to give it all to you, Lord. I'm prepared to offer you the best I can to build your house first and mine second. I've got hope, Lord. I believe in you. I believe you can bring things that are dead back to life. I believe this is not the end of the story. But whether you do it or not, whether you give me the results I'm looking for or not, whether you do it on my time scale, in my time, in the way I want it to do, exactly the way it used to be done before, I'm just not going to let go until you bless me. Because this is the only game in town. It's either God or, or nothing. There is only one way eternity can come on earth. Every tear be wiped away. The hurt's gone, the wrong's righted. Only one way. And that's if we have another move of you. 1738, May the 24th. Two brothers gathered not far from here in Aldersgate Street. They'd been ordained for 12 years. One of them had been a missionary in North America, been a complete failure, come back in scandal, accused of sleeping with someone's wife got scared on the boat on his way home, thought he was going to die. 
was shown up by a bunch of Christians that he met who didn't seem scared of death. And he opened a book by Martin Luther on the book of Romans. And it said that the just will live by faith. You'll be right with God if you trust in God. And he read it, and he said his heart was strangely warmed. My heart was strangely warmed as I read that I could be right by God by faith. And he stood up after a prayer meeting that went on for hours, went out from there, and rode on horseback the equivalent distance of to the moon and back three times over, the moon and back three times over, sharing the good news of Jesus with anyone who would listen to this short man, John Wesley. (laughs) Millions of people affected by it. At that point in England's history, it really did look like the church was dead forever and ever. Amen. People did not believe in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior who would give you eternal salvation. Not en masse. Revolution was in the era. It was the era of the French Revolution. And Wesley said, I'll not let go until you bless me. Thirteen years an ordained minister preaching the gospel until he understood it himself. I'll ask the question that I began with. Do you know what it is to enjoy God? Do you know what it is to enjoy God? Is that part of your reality, part of your day-to-day, to to enjoy God? Today, he's inviting us to make a temple, not built by bricks and mortar. It's very helpful, particularly in England, to have a roof over our head. but of our hearts. And in that temple, he's looking for people who will say, you are good, you are good, and your love endures forever.